0: This is a Woodside Church podcast. Hello! Hello! Good to see you. I've not preached for about a year, so they wheeled me back up because Martin's away. So here I am. So... So I I got told that I can preach on anything I wanted today, which is the first time I've ever been been given that much trust. So I'm going to preach on the history of Arsenal, and we'll we'll see what you think. (laughs) Uh, um, Right. Okay. So the Bible, there's a character in the Bible that I particularly like, and because I got to choose, I get to choose who I speak on, so I chose one of my favourite characters. And there's a gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and and it's about 400 years. You may know that. And in the Old Testament, it's full of prophets. Just one half, God sends a prophet, a prophet, a prophet. And they cross over. It's not there's one guy, he dies, wait a while, there's another guy. They actually cross over. So Sometimes you get three at once. But So there's at one stage, just before that 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, you get Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Malachi, and Zechariah. All within 100 years of time. So that it's full, full of these prophets. And then nothing, then it goes silent. It's a bit like, and re- apologies for the reverse analogy of the way the Bible does it, but it's a bit like if you imagine a wedding and you get the bridesmaids coming down. Now, everyone's, obviously everybody's waiting for the bride, but we'll look at the bridesmaid. we'll give them their few, few minutes of time. They walk down and we look at the bridesmaid, they come and sit at the front, then the next one comes and they sit at the front, then the next one, front. And that's what happened in the Bible. God sent a prophet. He comes, sends a message. He, Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming. Comes to the front. And then same thing happens. Same thing happens. And then there's this gap where the aisle just goes silent. And the only people that haven't come forward so far are the heads, bridesmaids, head, bridesmaid, and the bride. And all, all, the, all the people of Israel are waiting for, the, for these last two people. And then it happens. And this guy's... Is this skinny guy? He's a he's a weird-looking bloke. In fact, people said he even dressed like he should have been back 400 years ago. Can you imagine dressing 400 years old? Four hundred, some I don't know what's 400 years history. I don't know. Medieval? I don't know. I don't. Know. But, but oh, thanks, Colin. Not not quite. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, but I want, but this guy arrives, and as you can imagine. People are excited by this bloke. Very excited. He's in the wilderness. He's preaching, repent, the Messiah's here. He's on his way. And thousands and thousands of Israelites are running to the desert meeting this guy. And they start getting baptised. And more and more people, baptised, baptised. But then he's gathering serious momentum. He's, he's effectively famous in Israel now. Everybody who's anybody, everybody in Israel, poor, rich, they've all heard of John the Baptist. How, how do you get famous like John the Baptist but remain humble how how does that happen i'm not saying he's the most humble person in the bible there are lots there's moses the bible says moses was the meekest man who ever walked on the earth obviously there's jesus there's paul there's lots of humble people but john and jesus but john had a fame that a lot of these people didn't have and how do you remain get famous and well respected, and liked, and loved, and people were even saying that, John, could he be the Messiah? He was so, ama- so interesting that people wondered if he was the Messiah. How would you get that much respect, that much flattery, and stay humble? There's people in this room, that are some, some that are consultants, and I've been to the hospital, I've seen, the, I've seen your little folk milling around you, you've got your little gaggle of swans that are following around, and yes, whatever you say, consult, whatever you're right, you are the best, and you've got your people, how do you stay humble? We've got head teachers here who have got teachers that you know, are apple polishing and they love you and, and they say they're not right things at the right time. How do you remain humble? How does somebody in a respectable position, in a world of flattery, in a world where people lift people up, how do you stay humble? It's a question I want to ask today. I've got a few little things that I want to say about John. There's not all the lessons of his humility. There's a few more that I wanted to say that I had to cut for time, not because of um, doctrine. But the first one I wanted to talk about that I think would be unfair if I didn't say was John was raised very well. John's dad was a priest. His mum was a very godly lady, incredible godly couple. But they were raised very well. And hold that thought. Hold that thought. Because when when I was young... My mum used to always say to me, your name, Luke, means you're a bearer of light. You're a bearer of light. I've prayed that you're going to be a bearer of light. And she must have told me that line, I don't know, hundreds of times. So I was eye-rolling by the end. All the time, you're a bearer of light. Oh, you're doing this. I told you that was going to happen. I prayed that for you. she always say the same story, the same story, the same story, till it is embedded in my head, that I know my name means bearer of light. And she's prayed for me about that a lot of times. My oldest daughter... Sammy, before I, before I had kids, before I was even married, I, had, I won't go into the, the um, details for this, but I was concerned I couldn't have kids. You can see why I'm not going into details. But I, I thought I couldn't have any kids. And I remember I was praying one time and I said, God, I, I'm desperate. And I said, God, I really want kids. And I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to have any kids. And then the Holy Spirit, in, in this time of on my own, I was playing, I was crying out to God. The Holy Spirit came on me and very, very clearly, one of the clearest times I've ever heard God, this word Samantha came into my head as clear as day, one of the most I've ever heard God, Samantha. And I thought, that's weird, I'm going to go and Google that. So I went to the computer and I Googled the meaning of Samantha and it said, God's heard your prayer. So I I knew my first child would be called Samantha. And Rachel obviously tested me and had a little friendly bet whether it was going to be a boy or a girl. It was going to be a girl, unless there's a boy called Samantha. So... (laughs) (laughs) So, so needless to say, I won the bet, but she did not buy me the curry in the end that she promised she would. But, but as you can imagine, I've told Samantha that story so many times. She's heard that story again and again and again, because that's what parents do. Parents are excited for their, their kids. Of course we do. We all do the same. So in light of those, those points, I want you to hear what, the Bible, what Zechariah said about his son, John. If I can hair clips and my little bookmarks. Right, okay. And it says this, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to us through through Father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him forever without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Do you think he only said that once to John? Because it's only written once in the Bible. But if he's a parent like anyone here who's a parent knows, you don't tell your child something like that once. That's something you drum into them. You tell them a hundred times over and over again. John would have heard this or something like this many times. But the best thing, about the thing I like about this is it is full of him. He is the, the, say? The, holy, the most holy before him all the days of our life. He's promised. It's him, 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 him. And then you, child. The whole thing is Godward. It's not just, you're going to be great. You've got a great future ahead of you. I'm excited for your future. It's, he's amazing. He's wonderful. He's got a purpose. And he's going, child, he's going to involve you. And that is very key Because we live in a culture where kids become the centre. We live in a a culture where where we like to be God, where we like to be the most important thing. And and when we have children, we have this this constant battle to make sure that they're not primary. You're having a conversation with your friend, your child tugs you on the leg and you stop, hold. Hello, darling, you are right? Da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay, that, and talk with your friend. Then you interrupt it again, you talk again. The, kids become, the kid becomes God. Now I'm not going to give par- parental lessons because there's thousands of books out there that all conflict and will cause wars and I'm not. if I'm going to have a battle it's not going to be about how to raise a child but I would say that kids aren't supposed to be God. Kids aren't supposed to be the centre of attention all the time. We give our kids love, we give them acceptance but they are not to take the seat of God and John, from his, his dad was teaching him God's got a purpose, God's got a plan and son, you're involved. And that's what God wants us to do with our kids. It's a great start in life to have, have parents that tell you how, what a great future they've got ahead in light of Jesus. You wouldn't, serve, you wouldn't serve your children a plate of mash, pasta and bread. It's not very balanced, and it's quite fatty. You would do a balanced diet. And it's the same with our kids. It's okay to tell them that they're amazing, they've got a future, as long as it's, as long as it's in a balanced diet of the kingdom of God and Jesus and him being central. It's okay to do it as long as it's surrounded on a plate of Christ. And, that's, and that's, that's what we've got to battle for as parents. If you're a parent, that's what you've got to battle for. Making sure you love your kids. You tell them about how exciting they are. If they say, I want, I want to be a nurse. Say, so you know what? God, How God uses nurses. It's amazing what God can do with a nurse. Turn it all back into, turn it back into God. And involve God in your life. If you're, if you're tired, rather than just be cranky, say to your kids, which I do, I'm in a bad mood today. I do say this to my kids. I'm in a bad mood. Can you please can you pray for me that I'll be nice today? And then I say, Oh, you're grumpy. Oh, I shouldn't have told him. But but the point is, right at the beginning, you're saying, I, You know, I need your help. We need God's help. Involve God in your day-to-day as parents. Make sure Jesus is at central. Their purposes are in Christ. Kids can't do anything wrong. They can't do anything wrong. If they put a block in the right-shaped hole, we're thinking, Well, they're going to be a rocket scientist. If they pick their nose, they're going to be an archaeologist because they're great at digging. We, we think we see them do one thing and they're like, oh, he's got a future ahead. But we need to, in light, in light of the Bible, we need to glorify God and tell them how great they are, but in light of the gospel. That's the first little thing that I noticed. Have I got the right page? Yeah, good. Okay. And the second bit... This part I wanted to sit down because I was just going to skirt part this, pass this until Paul Paul, came, Paul brought his word, which he had no idea. By the way, this one way you can know there's lots of ways you can find out if God God exists. One is when somebody says something at the front and they had no idea what I was going to say because I haven't seen Paul this week. I haven't spoke to him. He had no idea what I was going to say. He talked about Israel going through the desert in the wilderness. Exactly the same thing I was going to preach on today. But he didn't know that. So, if you want to wonder, some little signs that God exists, there's a little sign that he brought something that was exactly what I was going to talk about. So, I'm going to sit down and slow down at this point. Okay. On, on from what Zechariah prayed, it then says that same, if he finishes his prophecy over, um, over his son, then it says. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. Surprise, surprise! He's been told what God's purposes for him are; that he's got a future. He grew and got strong in spirit, um, and and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. Now, a lot of us probably assumed that John the Baptist probably assumed that John the Baptist went out and parked his tent up a, a day before Israel arrived. You know, there's some articles I've read that suggest John might have been there for a couple of years. He might have been in the wilderness for a few years on his own. The wilderness in the Bible is, is a very important place. Not a nice place. It's not nice. It's never nice. But it is important. As Paul said earlier, God's people in Israel, God's people went, were put into, taken into the desert for 40 years. 40 years of, of desperate need. 40 years were there to ask God for food and water. They needed food and water. They were in a desperate state, and God took them there and kept them there for that long. As, as a lot of you know, when Jesus started his ministry, he went to the desert for about six weeks on his own. He went to the wilderness, and he sought God. He spent time with God on his own. Everything stripped back, just him and God. And then John does the same thing. Now, we don't know the content of what happened while he was there, but we know he was there, and the likelihood is he was there for a long time before he was known by anybody. And, and every Christian, every single person in this room that knows Jesus is great news, but it, short-term bad news, long-term great news, he will take you to the wilderness. Every Christian. Christians don't escape the wilderness. It's a very difficult time he'll take, he takes people through. It's a time of isolation often. It's a time of when every, all luxury is stripped away. You're left bare, empty, and in desperate need of God and he does that to Christians and it's painful, but it is vital for the growth of a Christian. When I took my kids swimming, they go to swimming lessons, my youngest boy would scream and scream and scream for for maybe the first seven or eight swimming lessons he would spend the whole half an hour just screaming. It was quite embarrassing. We would sit there, he would look at us with his beady eyes and say, why the heck are you not taking us out of this water? Let's Save me, daddy, save me, mummy. And we would sit there, and of course, as parents, there was something in us that wanted to take him out of that time. Of course there was, we're parents, we care for him. And because we loved him, we wanted to help him, take him out of that time. But because we really loved him, we kept him in there. Because we really cared for him, he stayed in that water, because obviously... Obviously, he was going to learn life saving skills in a, in a real emergency. Okay, we could have helped him, taken him out of that, and it would have been lovely. But if he one day got in this predic- pred- you know, dodgy situation where he's in the water, was it really love? God does that to us. We're very quick, and Israel were very quick. They, I remember the Israel story, the 40 years in Israel. It, it says continually, and the Israelites grumbled. Because that's what we do. When we face bad situations, we're like, God! Why? If you're a God of love, why would you take me through this horrible time? And I understand that, because I've been through these times as well. Why, God? Why are you doing this? You say you're loving, and I'm in this situation. But, but you're in this situation because he's loving. Because because we're not just living for 60, 70, 80 years. We're living for thousands and for eternity. Thousands and thousands of years. And what he's planning for you now is an eternal work. He's doing something new that's very important for eternity. And because he really loves you, he sometimes keeps you in the wilderness for a while longer. Sometimes he doesn't answer those prayers of, do this for me. Sometimes he'll leave you there and say, I love you and I'm with you and I care about you, but I'm going to make you stay here for a while. Because the wilderness does some stuff. In fact, the book, the Israelites, it says this about the Israelites in Deuteronomy 3. And he shall remember the whole way the Lord your God led you for those 40 years in the wilderness. Ready? So that he might humble you. What God does to us in those times when everything's stripped back is he does a work called humbling. He humbles us. He's, and it, What humbling does is beautiful. It makes us realise, you know what? I need God more than I thought I needed God. In a life when we can have everything we want, where we're some of us are very skilled, we can do everything, he strips us back and said, says, you need me. That's why half the Bible is full of people that are effectively useless and people that everyone else has written off because they're people that go, I need God. But he also uses people that were very good. Moses was pretty skillful. Paul was incredibly skillful before. But they learned that lesson of humility without having to be rubbish at things. They learned, I need God. Humility helps us to become people that know that God gifts, gives gifts. It says, and he humbled you and, and let you hunger and fed you with manna. Sometimes God lets us hunger. Sometimes it might literally be you're at, you're at a place where you can't get food in your fridge. That might be your wilderness. It might literally be that. It doesn't mean you don't tell people. You tell people, but you might be going through financial crisis. That might be a wilderness. It might be a redundancy. It might be I can't you've been applying for jobs and I can't get any. It might be as I know of people, you've got bad neighbors and you can't sell your house. God, what are you doing? It's a wilderness and he's doing something painful as it is something beautiful in you okay so then we go to John when he actually starts his ministry I haven't even talked about when he's actually began yet so all those things that happened so far were before his public ministry another thing we see that made John very humble was that, that we see that he didn't It's not that he didn't rate himself, he didn't rate himself highly, Uh, he wasn't self-defeating and pessimistic and negative about himself, he didn't have a low self-esteem, but he wasn't listening to what everyone's saying, you're amazing John, you're wonderful, thank you very much, he wasn't like that, he had a very good assessment of himself, in fact it says this, um, John said this, I baptise you with water for repentance, but he's coming after me and is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry they're about the same age John and Jesus give or take they're about, yeah, literally give or take a year they're about the same age they knew each other for years and John's saying even though you guys all respect me and like me I can't even touch his shoes that is that is humility at his best I can't even touch that guy. and you think John come on don't have such a low self esteem come on mate you know you, are, you don't even you're not an alcoholic you don't even drink alcohol John didn't drink alcohol so, wow, he's, he's an amazing guy. He doesn't drink alcohol. The Bible says he was full of the Spirit in the womb. I don't know anyone else who's been baptised of the Spirit while they were in the belly. John was baptised of the Holy Spirit while he was in the womb. He had parents who were very reputable. John was a good man. John was an, a, a, an impressive man. If we met him today, he would be weird, but impressive. <laughs> very impressive. But... But he has this opinion of himself that isn't as high as maybe we think it should be. I'm not even worthy to touch his shoes. And then he says, um, Jesus comes to him and says, um, John, would you, um, um, Jesus came to him from Galilee and said, uh, to be baptized by him, sorry. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? But Jesus said, let it be so, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then it says, then he consented. You asking me to baptize you? Please, can you baptize me? No, no, you need to do this. This is what we're meant to be doing. The humility that John realized he's nothing special in light of Jesus. He's not the first good man that that happened to. There's a guy in the Bible called Isaiah, and you might know the story. He was an incredible man of God, incredible prophet, very respected. He spoke, basically said things that happened exactly as he said. And then he has his vision where he meets God and he says the famous line, I'm a man of unclean lips. Another good man, another respectable man. Saying I'm not, I'm not all that. In fact I can't even come near you. So there's a lot of people here that are good people, respectable people. But, the, but there's a little secret in the Bible that you can re, miss very easily. And it's a story where there's a lady that's weeping at Jesus' feet. She a, a, says she's a sinful woman. And she's, she's crying at his feet and washing his feet with her hair. And the, and, and the Pharisees say, oh, look, what she's letting that sinner near him. And Jesus says, um, she loves much because she's been forgiven much. That line can be missed easily. But it's a line that we need to hear now. Because it's very hard to love God, very hard to love God, if you don't realise you've been forgiven much. Even if you're a good person, even if you've lived a whole good life of doing the right things, the Bible says, according to the Bible, compared to the glory and the perfection of Jesus, we are sinful. And the sooner we we see our sin, I'm not saying we dwell on it, but as soon as we're able to say, Praise the Lord, of the song, Praise the Lord, His mercies are more. And then it says, um, More, I'm trying to remember. Um, That's it. Our sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. As soon as we can say, you know what? I am sinful, but His mercy is more. Uh, As soon as you acknowledge we are sinful, we need to be people who are good at repenting. Not people, what a lot of Christians do is one Christian would say to the other, I've really let myself down this week. I've, I don't know, I've been harsh to my kids or I've, I was a little bit arrogant at work or whatever it is, we say these comments and then our Christian friend would say, don't be, don't be so harsh on yourself. Don't be so harsh on yourself, sister or brother. It's all right, you know, you're, you're a great person. You're amazing, it's great. While they're good-hearted and while there's a place for that, to be quick to flatter, to be quick to say, actually, no, no, it's not true. Don't be silly. Don't say that about yourself, that's not true. Actually, we, we are sometimes harsh, and compared to, compared to Jesus, our standard, but you know what? It's okay to say, I was harsh this week, and someone to say, Okay. But luckily, you know, his love is more, his grace is more, he's there to forgive you, he'll forgive you again and again. It's okay to acknowledge our sin. And in fact, for a mature Christian, a mature Christian isn't someone that forgets that they sin, it's someone who knows they sin, and they're someone they're very quick to kneel down. Christians are meant to be an army on our knees we to be a people that are very quick to realise we need God. The closer you get to God, seemingly, the more you realise you need God. It's a very weird thing. The most mature Christians in this room will be people that are very quick to say, I need God. Not, whoops, not the other way around. And finally, John... John was about God's kingdom, not his own. Not his own. i read this bit. This is, this is a fascinating... This, this is actually, potentially, one of the most... Hum, in my opinion, one of the most humble verses in the whole Bible. One of the most incredible verses. It says this. And they, by the way, they is John's disciples. So John had a set of disciples as well before Jesus had his. John had people that followed him and they, he taught them how to pray. It says they taught, he taught them how to pray. So John was teaching his disciples things. And they said, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, Jesus, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptising and, and everybody's going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. That's not the humble verse I'll say in a minute. You can imagine, these disciples have effectively witnessed a revival. The whole people of Israel are changing, people are getting baptised, left, right and centre. They're involved in the process. John, their leader, is incredibly famous, incredibly respected, incredibly loved. The kingdom of God is coming, amazing things are happening. And suddenly Jesus arrives and this, this guy, John, suddenly disappears as quick as a flash he's, he's had his moment and then his moment steps back and it's all about Jesus now you can imagine if you're one of his disciples you'd be a bit like oh that's us then that's, that's us done and you can imagine the sense of loss the disciples the, his disciples had that saying look they're all going to him now what, what do we do about this and here we go this is the line therefore this joy of mine is now complete just hold there his, effectively, his church is shrinking. Everyone's going to Jesus and he says, my joy is complete. Ready? He must increase and I must decrease. Who says that? Who says that? I'm so happy because nobody notices me anymore. Are we at a place like that? I'll be honest with you, I'm not there yet. I'm not there. That is incredible humility. And the thing, the thing about God's kingdom it's, the Bible says, and we, we've sung it with Matt Redmond's songs, he gives and takes away. Sometimes he takes away. And a Christian is someone who's, who's content, and more than content, joyful, knowing that, that even when he takes away, it's part of his purposes. Some, of, some people might have really great jobs, and that job might get taken away, and he might have a, a not-so-impressive job. He takes away. And John Bloom says this, a very good quote. I didn't want to say it in any other way other than the way he said it. But they were just learning that when the blessed Lord grants one, to, one a role to play, in, sorry, I'm, I'm quoting in regards to what I've just that quote that verse I've just read about the disciples saying, "Everyone's gone to him." They were just learning that when the blessed Lord grants one a role to play, one must perform it faithfully, but never grasp it, for the Lord also takes away. The role is not the reward; the Lord is the reward. We must remember that our role is not our reward, Jesus is our reward. Roles begin and they will end. And the only way for us to end well is if our hearts, in our heart, Jesus has increased, but we have decreased. I'm gonna tell you a very personal story to finish. And that was, I used, some, of, some people here will know that I used to work for the church for about 10 years. And in this little world that is the church, there's not that many people, but in this little world of three, 400 people, you, your name you get known in this little world in this little you become almost mini famous anyone out this room hasn't got a clue who you are but in this world you are luke that does this 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 and you get a bit of prominence what happened to me is i wouldn't say i massively struggled with pride obviously i did because obviously god then took me on a journey of pride because then i disappeared from church for about a year did nothing and i went into a job that was horrible horrible and I got serious anxiety and I had to leave that job because I was so anxious that the room, was, the room would spin and I couldn't stand up straight because the, literally I was so anxious that the floor was moving the whole time. So I left that job, then I had no job. First thing that's ever happened to me in a few years, ever, actually I've never had no job. And in that time, um, at that time, God spoke to me, and he gave me a picture of this. Sorry, a picture is when God, God sometimes speaks to us, in our, sometimes it's like an imagination. You get something in your thoughts, and then it's profound. What happened to me is I got this profound thing of this giant candle, luxury. You go to a mansion, you see these huge, beautiful candles on the middle of the dining table, and it was stunning. And I saw this candle, and then this hand, God's hand, lifted this candle up and set it alight. And it started dripping into this little tea light down here. And God said to me, Luke, if I want to turn you into a tea light, you'd be content with that. If I want to turn you into... Now, your next season is a season of tea light. Nobody's going to know you. You, you, All those things you've done, church, they're forgotten now. I'm going to take you into a time of a tea light. And as long as the light's burning, that's all that matters. Regardless of the size, the stature, You, you burn for me regardless of the size. God would do that. God would do that to all of us in different ways. It's a question of how, how receptive are you? Are you, willing to be, are you willing to be melted down? Are you happy for God to say, okay, you've had a great time here, now I'm going to shrink you down. For me, it was a job that I'd known, was an unskilled job, was a, I'm not going to talk about it to people who do it, but it was an unskilled job, and I felt very humble doing this job. It wasn't very impressive, but I'd, I'd done it and done it and done it. And God taught me some, a lot of lessons of humility in that time. Are we ready to be melted down if we need to be? Because God will take you through seasons. Like I said, you might have a time of great stuff, but that you can't hold on to those times. So what we can learn from John, there's other things, but we can learn that God takes us through the wilderness. We can learn, be a parent that talks a lot about Jesus and tell them how great they are in light of that. We, can, we need to be people who are more concerned about God's kingdom than our kingdom because we live in a world that says build do what you want you can achieve anything let's build your kingdom make your castle God says no I'm going to tear your castle down and I'm going to build mine and you're going to be happy to come into my castle John knew his true his true status he wasn't all that he wasn't all that he was an amazing man but in light of the Jesus he wasn't much and I'm going to quickly pray for us. before. We I'm going to pray for us now, and I'm disappearing off. that. They're going to sing, and after that we'll close and do teas and coffees. But let me just quickly pray for everyone here. You don't have to stand up. All right, let me just pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for John the Baptist. Thank you for someone that was incredibly prominent and yet incredibly humble. Lord Jesus, would you teach us the same? Would you teach us to be people that are more concerned about your kingdom than our kingdom? Would you teach us to be people that talk a lot about God and not so much about us? Would you teach us, Lord Jesus, to be people who embrace the wilderness and not try and run from it? Lord Jesus, would you do an incredible work in us, Lord God? Teach us about the cross. Teach us about, help us to put our knees at Calvary again and exalt you. Lord, have your place in our hearts. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my kingdom come. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Lord, give me a heart that is willing to do whatever you want me to do. Amen.